Hello, welcome to the Coaching Manual Podcast. I'm Pavel Williams. In this episode, we're joined by A.D. Boothroyd, who's the current England Under-20 manager. However, when this interview was recorded, it was in actually February in California, before the England job even became available. So the comments that A.D. makes are, uh, first and foremost, really interesting, but secondly, I think fairly independent and neutral, uh, irrespective of his new affiliation with the FA. And the subjects he touches upon are really interesting. He has managed in League Two, League One, the Championship and the Premier League, but also he's been involved in the youth setup from the under nines right the way through to under 18s and youth team reserves, uh, obviously through to first team management. So he has a really good overview of the youth development process. He's honest about the realities of the top flight and uh, the need to get results as a first team manager. And he has a few suggestions for kind of bridging that gap and making the process more interesting. So I hope you enjoy. If you do, let us know on Twitter or Google Plus and go to the website, thecoachingmanual.com forward slash podcasts to subscribe and to get new episodes um, through iTunes, RSS, SoundCloud, etc, etc. Okay, I hope you enjoy. Where are you up to at the moment with your coaching? Um, are you looking to get back into management anytime soon? Well, I'm sure I'll be a, a manager again because I because I love it, and you know the fact that I've I'm quite un- unusual in many ways because I've I've worked at every level from under nine up to first team manager um, at different clubs, uh, and my background is massively youth, mm-hmm. um, and I've always tried to promote youth players through into the first teams because I think that's it's important not just for for the clubs but for English football in mm-hmm. general. Um, and I've been a manager in all four leagues now. You know, done 350 plus games on the sideline, and uh, I've got I've got to a stage now where um, I maybe want to try something different. I'm 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 open. Whereas before, I've always said I want to be get a manager's job or head coach's job. You know, coming out to the states and and seeing how football's going on all over the the world. You know, there's a what what you want to do is you want to just test yourself and do different things. So um, I'm quite open to uh, different roles different countries I just want to see what's out there really when you went into Watford and you um, decided that you wanted to really overhaul how they were developing football players what, what were some of the sort of key elements you wanted to implement in that program like, what was important to you well I, I, first of all it, it was down to the the coaches that, that brought it to my attention Mark Warburton David Dodds at the time that um, went over to Willem Tway looked at what they did mm-hmm. And uh, came back with these ideas. We've all always known that you want to get the contact time with the players, uh, and, and and we found a way that we could actually improve their education as footballers, but also improve their education academically. Because we, if the players didn't do the work, then they missed out on the training, and they were training twice a day, every day, all going to the same school. The parents weren't too concerned about uh, um, picking them up from school and taking them to training, missing out on food. You know, the other siblings missing out on things. Um, and, and we were the first club to do that, uh, but it was those two guys that pushed it and, 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 and drove it forward. So uh, I, I think it's very important for, for local players to come through. I think it's very important for, for youth players in general to, you know, farm players to be able to bring them through and get them playing football. I think if you can do that at every level, then the, 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 from grassroots up, it's all going to improve. I think you have to make a business case for it. Unfortunately, that's the way that the game. It yeah. does depend on on money, but for me, I mean, I grew up watching Bolton, and there was a, there was always 
a real connection with the town. It was a ground right in the centre of the town, yeah. and, and people were travelling almost on foot to the games. And you sort of lost that for various reasons, even though the club has been successful. Attendances have dropped. Yeah. I feel like there's going to be a lot of clubs go through a similar process. So, mm. do, how, how do you approach a chairman and sort of sell them on this is going to be good for us as a club, not just for the England team or anything like that, but monetarily well, I, as well? I, I think, I think all, all businessmen want to see value for money and I think if you've got players that uh, are coming through the system that go and play in your first team they're saving you money because it stops your transfers fees going getting other players wages are obviously lower with the younger players because they've got to prove themselves and you have a sliding scale uh, on that in terms of you know what they can earn and how well they do but um, it, it is very important it, 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 because uh, you you there are, there are tangibles, obviously, in terms of money in and money out and return on investment. But there's also the intangibles that you can't you can't see, you can't touch. The feel-good factor of having a young player in your team that other people want to strive to be part of that. Plus, it helps you get even more kids into the system because if they see go to one club and they see there's a ceiling of development, then they're not going to go to that club. Whereas if they come to your club and you're playing, putting players in, then it's going they're going to want to come forward and they're going to going to play for you. Do you think that there's so many development centres uh, from different clubs all over the place now that almost it's not a case of kids desperately trying to get into a professional club, but also almost clubs are competing for almost every single player, so they have to. Yeah, particularly in the northwest, I think you know there's a lot. There's a, in, in London, there's a, there's a lot of clubs in the Midlands, little clusters of clubs that are yeah. all fighting to get the players through. So it is very competitive. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit underhand, but but I mean that's. The whole point of the you know the the triple P, um, you know, based on the ten thousand hours rule, they want football clubs to have um, philosophies on, on what it is that they're going to do, uh, and they also want to um, get feedback systems going. You know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it, and it's important to get those things going to get the uh, whatever the multidisciplinary things that a player's got to work on. Um, then you need to talk about it, measure it, and, sure. and, and, and do it and work on it in your sessions. How, how, do you, how do you make it measurable? I mean, do you measure progress just in terms of number of players in the senior team, or do you break it down year on year? So the academy coaching that, that you've done, what would be some of the key aspects you'd hope to develop, and what would you actually look at at the end of the season in terms of measuring well, progress? Well, I, I think if you've got a criteria, um, then it helps you to work. Yeah. Uh, and I think for every position there is a criteria, mm-hmm. depending on how your team play and what it is that you do and the quality of the play that you've got at first team level. But in academies, you, players have got to be uh, comfortable with the ball. They've got to be able to play out from the back. They've got to be able to have an understanding about playing in between the lines and they've got to be able to receive on both feet and play, uh, and play forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about awareness, that's about technique, that's about a tactical... Um, a tactical judgment on, on what you're facing, where the space is, where your team is, where the opposition is, uh, and, and where you might be able to isolate and overload people. So uh, these are things that are not just done on the field. These are things that are done in a classroom, and these are things where you, you know your sports analyst comes into it because you can show the first team to the academy kids, and you can show uh, other top players doing it, and then they'll want to mimic it. And mm-hmm. you know we all remember our favourite players, and we all remember going off into the back garden and trying to practice what they did. So, you know, these are, these are things that I think are important that go alongside the football. And it, it, it's, it's got to be... If, if you're creating a learning organisation and a learning environment, then you've got to have a, a situation where 
everybody's pulling in the same direction. Yeah, of course you've got to do the sports science stuff, and, you, and, and the sports scientist is going to have an opinion about certain things. Uh, as is, the, you know, if, you have a, if you're good looking enough to have a sports psychologist in your club, and, and everybody else that, that, that comes into that. But at the end of it, it's about footballers, mm-hmm. and it's about the, you know, the getting the specific specificity right so that you're training for football and not training to be you know an Olympic weightlifter there's got to be a balance in there somewhere but to me the ball is the way forward I'm glad that you touched on specificity because one of the questions I wanted to ask you was um, is it important that the first team plays in a style that the academy mimics or do you feel like there should be more of a separation because the managers, as you know, are on such a tightrope the whole time. There's yeah, different pressures. Yeah, it is, and, and and it depends. You know, the the first team at Watford, with what we had, we we had players that weren't as technically gifted as the players in the academy, believe it or not. But we got the best out of what we had, and we played in a way that suited those particular players. But if you're working with, with younger players. You want them to be able to play any variety of styles and any variety of systems. Um, and what you'll find is that they'll be able to do that if they're, they're given the opportunity to, to, to play and if they're given the opportunity to, uh, to get on the ball and, and learn from their mistakes. Do you feel very much that there's a foundation if you don't have that foundation base? Any of the tactical things that you try and build on top of it's not not going to be as effective. Well, that's that's probably one of the big problems with the game is that you know you'll go and watch a, any fixtures up and down the country. The facilities aren't great to start with. The pitches are too big to start with. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about grassroots now, I'm not talking about the academies uh, or the centre of excellences. Mm-hmm. And you'll see the bigger kids that come through because they're able to kick the ball longer, mm-hmm. uh, further, stronger. And the little technical kids that probably take them a little bit longer to come through, late developers, they don't get on the ball. And, and it, you know they either, they either lose heart with the game um, go and do something else. So it takes them a little bit while, a little while longer to come through. So that, to me, where the work is, where the work's got to be done, mm-hmm. um, and that, to me, is where the education's got to begin. Because people have a great deal of respect for people that want to be volunteers um, and, and give up their own time. I think that's absolutely fantastic. That's what our, our country's done for for years. People yeah. volunteer to do things to to for, to put things back into the community, and, and I also think that we've got a. Um, an allegiance, if you like, to these people, because if they're willing to do that, then we should be helping them by helping them educate and, and, and to help their teams and their players to get better. I completely agree. Uh, what do you feel about um, the change in format? So we've had drops down to um, sort of seven aside, four aside, yeah. and there seems that there's been less and less resistance within the, the grassroots game t- towards that. Yet you still see. So coaches or players in other countries playing sometimes like 32 a side, you know, and, and things like this, like out in the street. Do you feel like that's realistic to say, oh, we look at what they do in Spain or Argentina? Or do you feel like we just need a really uniquely sort of English brand of the game? Well, I think I think you've got to take the, the best of everything and add what you've got to it. I think yeah. there's a difference between playing street football and, and, and the poverty that... Suffer some some countries suffer. Yeah. They're hungrier. They've got uh, the, the the streets that they're playing on. Um, they've got less choice almost. Yeah. Whereas kids in our country, have got lots of choice. Even poor kids have got lots of choice because you know the the, the computer games that they can do now, the TV that's on. Um, you know, there's more cars on the road and everything else. So yeah, that, they're, they're not getting the opportunity to to go and 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 to play. So I think there's a there's a 
uh, there's two separate things there. There's there's one looking at how we what we can do to because that's practice time street football. Yeah. You think about playing in the streets and practicing again, you know, kicking the ball up against the wall and working on your left foot, your right foot, and your touch and, and so on and so on. And then playing against bigger kids and having to learn how to adapt, to improvise, to overcome, to be able to get a, a touch of the ball or to be able to not be pushed off it. You know, these are all uh, little. Um, little opportunities to develop and get better at your, at your game. But then once they are in academies or, or they are in clubs, what can we do to inc increase contact time? And that's the 4 vs 4 stuff, the 7 versus 7. And I think that's important. I, I still think that you know, up to the age of 12, players should be playing in, in different positions. They should be playing all over the pitch. They're, you know, you want to produce footballers mm -hmm. that can fit into a system. Not, not, not what, what I've had to do and what a lot of other managers have had to do to get results is to get a system, for, you know, Look at what we've got, right? What can we afford? What can we bring in, and uh, and then go go ahead and play in a way that suits you. You can play football any way you want, but if you want to win, you've got to get the best out of what you've got. Um, and every single coach or manager I've ever come across wants to play football that excites them and thrills them. Um, but you've also got to win. Um, so you know, winning an attractive football comes in. Uh, well, there aren't many people that have done it. Mm -hmm. I think Arsenal invincible team have done it. Yeah. The bigger clubs can do it because they've got a better player, the better players. But everybody else, depending on the, the quality of the the, uh, the player they've got, mm -hmm. has to adapt. So you almost need the quality of players, and you've got that cushion, and it lets you. You're going to win games by default or by de facto because you've got better players. You, well, then you can add on. Well, yeah, you take Man City at the moment. Man City have yeah. got a fantastic array of talent, very talented squad. They're in four competitions. They're going great, um, and. They they can tear anybody apart, mm -hmm. um, and and again they can improve. You know there'll be bits of their game that will be looking yeah. at saying how can we get better at this, and you know you never you're never satisfied. It's that it's that you know the golden golden challenge that you're all searching for to be able to get those results, be unbeaten and win every game. And there aren't many that's been able to do that. So let me ask, when you were at Northampton, they were really struggling, and, and yeah. obviously your priorities were can you come in, can you pick up some points and get us out of this this yeah. difficult spot we're in. So. When you're going into a club, sort of blank sheet of paper in front of you, where do you start developing what your game plan's going to be? Well, you look at what you've got. Um, you know, I went in there because I, I, yeah, I, I like the chairman. I like what he wanted to do. He had money. The club was better than where it was. Mm -hmm. um, and slowly but surely, we had a massive turnaround of something like 35 players um, in in a, in 18 months. And, and and the team that got to the playoff final was a was a team that. Was probably had one player in it from the the, the team that that was here uh, when we arrived. You know, moving on from that, if you change too much too quickly, and you know players retire or players have to go back to the loan clubs, you know, you, you have to adapt on your budget. Uh, if you have to do things like that, then at some point or other, something's got to give. So the the expectation level remains the same, but the t the tools with what you've got to deal with um, don't. So you'd, you'd literally you'd go in, you'd go to the training ground, you'd look at the players and you'd try and figure out, like, are we going to get the best possible result? Yeah, from that's, that's, that's exactly players. it. But there are, there are other fa factors that come into it where if you haven't got a training ground, like a lot of League Two clubs mm -hmm. haven't, then you not only have you not got the quality of players that you need uh, to, to, um, to survive and then thrive, but you, you've also got to be able to do the work. And if you haven't got a place to do the work, mm -hmm. you've got to be very, very lucky. Because the amount of games that, that you've got and the depth of squad that you've got and the quality that you've got, you, you, it is a very, very difficult. I mean, I'm glad. I'm really glad I've done it. But I don't think I'll be doing it again. 
I really don't. I'm glad I did. I'm glad I've had a go to it because I can now say I've done every league. Um, and there are strengths and weaknesses in every league. And I just felt that that perhaps at League Two and some League One clubs, you, you end up spreading yourself so thin that the quality that you've got gets diluted. And yeah. I think if you've got that situation like that, then you're going to have a problem. It doesn't matter whether you're you know, Mourinho or Arsene Wenger or, or, or Joe Bloggs who runs a pub team. If you haven't got the uh, the resources and the players then your objectives are going to be different to what they are at the top end. Does it take a different, I guess, mindset for the players, depending on which league you're in, but also whereabouts in the league you are? I mean, do you come across a situation where you're very talented players who just don't have the mentality to sort of have a dogfight at the bottom end? Well, they're all flawed, aren't they? All, all players are flawed, and that's not me being disrespectful to football players. What that means is at, at the very, very top end, they've got the mental capabilities, the mental qualities to be able to succeed. They've got technical skills, they've got tactical awareness, mm-hmm. um, and they've got the physical attributes that you need. They can roll, run, they're all quick, and they're all you know good, strong sizes, six foot plus. Now, the lower down you go the scale, they sort of lose those qualities. So they're either very technically good and, and midgets, mm-hmm. or they're very big and strong and haven't got the technique, sure. or they've got technique, they're big and strong, but they haven't got the mental quality. So and, that, and everybody, at some point or other, finds players find find where they're best. But those boys that come through and do well for themselves are the ones that make the best out of themselves. That that, that look to improve upon themselves and and really. Have the, have the mental skills, that's what it boils down to. You know, the most important space on a pitch is between a player's ears. I've always thought that. Uh, and whether the, you know, Lloyd Doyle, who I had playing for me at, at Watford, he's technically nowhere near the best player. But he's had 15 years at a club, he's played, you know, 30 Premier League games um, and played, you know, three, 400 Championship games. So there's a guy that's made the best of himself. Um, and uh, you know because he's a good defender, he's strong, he's quick. He doesn't get beat, and, and because of that, he's he's done all right, and he's improved the technical side of his game as well. So a guy like that, I have a great deal of respect for, rather than you know somebody who, who might look like a, a, a Greek god and, and have all the gifts, but when it when the going gets tough, he goes missing. I don't really like people like that. I'd, I'd rather not have them. Do you think that can be identified within an academy system? To that, you have to play at the top level. You have to compete in order to identify those traits? Or do you feel like there's enough competition in the academy game to sort of develop those skills? I went to watch Manchester City play Manchester United recently and I thought that was a really good game. Because mm-hmm. you had two teams, it was a derby. There's a bit little crowd there. It was at Salford's Reds. They're all, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a good game. Two good teams having a go at each other. Um, but you've got some games and it's like a dance. It's, it, it's over possession. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and to me, people miss the point. Possession is important, but it's not possession that wins your game. It helps you win a game, mm. but it doesn't. It's the penetration with the possession that helps you do that. Uh, and keeping the ball at the back for 500 passes is not. You, know, you want teams to progress. You want to be able to do all kinds, playing in a variety of different ways. Um, and sometimes you get games like that where it, it's over, mm. it's overplayed, and it's overpassed, and you never see a tackle or an interception or. Whereas that game I saw, I had a little bit of everything. It was great. I'm going to ask you just a couple of questions just to finish off. The first one, if you were invited by Greg Dyke to come and sit on his panel and discuss the game in general, what would be the one big thing, the one big point that you'd, you'd like to try and make in terms of moving it forward? In Educate grassroots coaches. Yeah, yeah. simple as that. Yeah, get, get, help them. Help them by 
giving them sessions, help them by having lots of um, satellite clubs for them and say to the clubs, we're putting this on for you and you've got to come, otherwise we're not going to give you a licence to the local leagues. Mm. You know, make it work. Because... Uh, and give them qualifications and, you know, you don't, the, and sometimes I don't think they should have to pay for the qualifications. If they're willing to put the time in mm. and they're willing to put the time in to learn, then we should give something back somewhere along the line. There must be some way of funding that with the amount of money there is in the game. You would think so, wouldn't you? you? So. Yeah, you would think so. But then you've also seen at the bottom of the game how stretchy it is. Like you talk about, even if, yeah. you, if you get into League One, you're still stretched from a club. So do you feel like it just has to be Premier League and FA money, basically? That's what we're talking about, filtering down. Well, the Premier League is the big mover and the big shaker. But there's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the FA... Uh, is you know a fantastic organisation and has done a lot of really really good things and I think is trying to uh, uh, to move forward with the times. Completely. You know the, the stuff that Dan Nashworth is doing, you know Sir Trevor and uh, these are guys that are, that are, um, David Burstyn are pushing it. You know when when people say we'll have a root and branch review of it and it's just words. I, I think there actually is that going on now, and I think people are trying and, and pushing. To uh, to improve uh, the game, completely agree. Um, some of the schemes they've seen with the, the new qualifications, the changing the formats, and going out and, and selling these ideas to coaches all yeah. around the country has, has been very very good. So, I think that the problem is if England do really badly at the next World Cup, or if England do a little bit better than expected, there'll be the calls from different end of the spectrum. I think we might have to wait a few years and just see see how it well, pans out. I, I think the work that they're doing, you're not going to see the benefit for ten years. Yeah. Uh, and and then that's why I think it's important. And I think if you looked at the Germans as a model, or the Spanish, the Germans, I, I, I like what the Germans do because they're very efficient in what they do. And a few years ago, they looked at the players that they had, they didn't have a, cr a good crop. Mm -hmm. So they went and repatriated uh, the guy, Ozil, uh, comes in. Ozil, yeah. You know, they get Podolski in, mm -hmm. um, they get Brazilians into their squad. They almost treat it like a, like a, a club team until so they can stay at the top end and compete but still looking to try and get it right and now they've got a situation where they've got some fant a real solid uh, outstanding group of players with a few senior players in there that are that you think oh they're going to be a, they're going to be a threat and I think the same for Spain you know uh, some of the players Iniesta Xavi yeah Fabregas you look at some of the players that are coming through there Santi Cazorla you look at some of the players that are um, that are in the Spanish setup that that is just one of those things where you get a golden generation yeah. But they have the coaching and the weather, and, and you know, so everybody says, "Oh, Spain's the way to do it, Germans the way to do it." You can do it any way you want, but you've got to have a plan, and it's got to be a long-term plan, not a quick fix. That's that's a problem with society in general. We want a microwave society. We want it done quick. We want it done now. But really, it does take time. It does take time, and as you say about the World Cup, the expectation has to be managed because it's going to be tough. You know, it's going to be really tough to play uh, over. Over, over there, for one, the altitude game we've got uh, altitude. Another, mm -hmm. European teams don't tend to win in South America. No. So, at some point or other, somebody's going to break the mould. But you know, it, it is one of those things where we're not favourites to get out of that group. No. So, that in itself might actually be a be a help. You, th you do think so if it's the pressure that has got to certain players in the past? I mean, you don't know because you don't ever get to see inside yep. the camp. But you do wonder. The the final question. Um, I started to just ask coaches who was who was the coach you really looked up to when you started and what were the reasons why um, I, I don't 
I wouldn't really say that I looked up to any one individual, but I'll say I take a lot of a lot of people. Um, obviously, obviously, Sir Alex, um, Dave, uh, uh, David Moyes. I've, I've got a lot of time for. I think he's really good. You know, I, I like bits of what Rafa Benitez did. I, I like you know watching what Arrigo Saki's teams press. Uh, the Milan team that Fabio Capello took over was a fantastic team. Um, I like watching Ajax play. You know, I look go back to the 70s and the total football philosophy. That's absolutely brilliant. So you, you, some of the things that you see the African teams. You know, Liverpool. So I, I think if you're going to be a good coach, you've got to be a good thief, and you've got to take from everybody, and you've got to put your own thoughts and your own philosophy alongside it because. <laughs> Although there are those sound bites by some managers and coaches that, that, that you listen to them and you think that they invented, that, you know what, what's going on, and, and it does get repackaged. Um, and the, the thing, the thing about football is it's always going to evolve and it's always going to get faster. And but the qualities that, that some players of, genera of different longer generations ago possess would still thrive now. Mm -hmm. Would still thrive now. So to answer your question, you know the, the likes of Mourinho, I think, is is, is the best of the best there is. Um, but I wouldn't have anybody as my god. I think there's there's a lot of really really good coaches and managers you can steal something off. You know, even uh, even my time in, in League Two, I, I picked bits and pieces up off off people by what they did against you. And you and you you got to be forever open. You got to be forever learning because the game is changing fast. Do you think that's a danger for a coach if if you are too I suppose dogmatic about your philosophy that the game's going to move on and it's going to move. Yeah, on. it is. Of course, it's going to move on. It has to. It's you know the only the only ever constant is change. And if you don't get with it, then then you're going to have a problem. And particularly the way the game is going now with the globalisation of it in the, at the top end. You know, I think as Brits, what I think will happen is there'll be more Brits that go abroad because they've got to because the, the you know the the influence of the, the the foreign coaches that's the that's the fad at the moment and they'll they're not they're not any better than what we are as british coaches but that's what the norm is at the moment so they'll come in so we'll have to go and be big enough to go and, and, and get out there so coaches learning different languages um, coaches being able to the flexibility to be able to live somewhere for two years and move somewhere else and move somewhere. i think these are things that are going to occur um, i think I think the way that the game is going, with the way the money is, uh, is is distributed, I think at some point or other we're going to get back to the North and South League. I think it'll come that far round, and I don't think you know in 15 years' time we'll be having the 92 league clubs. I think it'll I think it'll shorten. I think the the, the bigger clubs will get bigger, and the smaller clubs will, will struggle to survive. Can't be a better way to end it. Good. Thanks okay, Paul. My pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank no you. problem at all. No problem.